As we continue this morning, this is Talk of the Town. I am Jim Chapman. I am joined in the studio by two good friends of mine, Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz. Nice to have you both here again. Morning, Thank Jim. You. This is that part of the week we call left, right, and center. Over the past few weeks, we've been asking folks to, uh, to drop us a line and let us know what you like or do not like about Talk of the Town. And I'm pleased to say that, uh, that uh, left, right, and center was right at the top of the list. It wasn't alone at the top, but it was there. So obviously it's a very popular segment for many listeners, and we're very pleased that you're enjoying it. Uh, another thing that uh, came up out of that research was that uh, apparently, and we'll find out here in a minute or two, apparently uh, some of you would like to have a little more flexibility on the program, uh, perhaps uh, calls from you as to topics you'd like to raise. Are there things you'd like to hear the three of us discuss? So this morning, just uh, following along in our attempts, our initiative, to give you what you want, we thought we'd open the phones right off the bat and see if there's a topic out there that you'd like to have my guests discuss this morning. You could be part of the discussion if you want, or you could just put a topic up. 643-1290 is our telephone number. Star 1290 is the Cantel Cellular. Is there an issue out there that you'd like to, uh, to hear Bob and Jeff discuss this morning? Is there something that's uh, perhaps perplexing you and you'd like to get a couple of different opinions on it? Whatever it is, now is your chance. 643-1290, star 1290 on the Cantel, and we will be right back. Left Brain Center, we've invited you to call with uh, show ideas today, and we had a caller. Uh, his question was, with all the money we're putting into healthcare these days, why is it still not working? I guess my first question to you guys would be, is it not working? Is he right to say that? I mean, uh, my mother-in-law was in the hospital there before Christmas, got excellent care. She's had excellent follow-up care. Um, she's very pleased with her doctor. She gets to see her doctor when she needs to. Uh, you know, if you look at that example, uh, I wouldn't say there is anything seriously wrong with it. Jeff? Uh, well, it's interesting that, that you say that because, uh, yeah, that's been my experience in the last year or so as well, that anybody I know who's gone to try to access health care has had a good experience uh, that things haven't been that bad and uh, I presume that there are pockets where there are big problems. We heard about the situation recently where, where our emerges were all full in, in London uh, and I guess that's bad news. We heard about Mel Aspen waiting for whatever it was, nine hours or something uh, to be uh, taken care of an emergency in Toronto a week or two ago. Uh, one of the things I think it's hard for pe people to appreciate now is that uh, one of the things that struck me as a government is that if you announce that you're cutting two billion dollars that's a news item for a week or two or whatever it is, then a year later you announce you're, you're putting back one billion, all of a sudden you're spending like crazy. Well, you're still a billion in the hole over what you were from before. Mm -hmm. And that's what we still have in healthcare. I, I, I believe I read the number was that uh, the, the Liberals had cut about $11 billion out of healthcare back when they first took took office as one of their measures to uh, to bring the deficit under control and that now they're putting some of that back. But we still had net substantial cuts federally. Uh, now, provincially, I believe that the uh, provincial government is actually spending more than they have in the past. But the other thing that's happening is that every time you get a new government in, it seems to me that they have a totally different direction they want to go in. And they sort of jerk things all to one way, and then they jerk them all back the other way. And I think it must be awfully hard if you're a, a health care planner to try and plan some sort of cohesive system where you've got these governments jank, you're, you're jerking you one way, then the other. We've got... Uh, you know, the problem's less money then than perhaps uh, certain organizations organization. and, and politics. And uh, like, for instance, in Ontario, we had this commission set up to go around the Health Restructuring Commission, came in and recommended closing, what, 45 hospitals, recommended closing LPH and uh, St. Thomas Psych. Um, at the time, we had the government saying, well, it's the commission, we won't touch it, blah, blah, blah. And now we have, within the last 
month or so, the government has said, well, we're going to override the commission and not close those hospitals, even though they recommend it. And you start to get the sense of, you know, who's in charge here and what's the grand plan. I think that's probably the biggest part of the problem from what I've seen. Bob, what about uh, your thoughts on it? Um, socialized medicine is a system where you have a, an infinite demand placed on limited resources. And unfortunately, the infinite demand continues to grow. And it's, it's easy to always point to anecdotal evidence that, gee, the system is working or anecdotal evidence that, gee, the system isn't working. Mm -hmm. But what we do see is a, is a definite trend statistically. That's, where, that's really the only measurement you can take where we see in certain areas longer lineups for certain medical procedures, mm -hmm. people making different decisions, um, certain procedures by the healthcare system not being covered by our mm -hmm. Medicare system anymore. And all these things, like we're losing bits and pieces of the service continually, which is the trend. It has to be. It isn't mm -hmm. going to go any other way, while paying more for the system. And, and it's a little bit like what I described before was pumping more money into the system is like trying to charge a dead battery. Mm -hmm. There's no work getting done because there's no resistance in it. And by that, I mean economic resistance, where people uh, make choices at the bottom end of the ladder that actually affect the amount of money they'll be spending on their health care and that's just not in existence in our country and we've also got to realize that the health care we've had this great health care system for the past twenty years has not been paid for and if we expect it to be there for another twenty years we'll have to add the cost of that plus the debt of the previous twenty years plus whatever debt we accumulate over the next 20 years now, when, when to you, the bill. When you say we haven't paid for it, though, the, and I know you're well aware of this, the vast majority of that $576 billion is interest on interest on interest. Our actual capital spending was uh, less than 10%, I believe. Am that, I wrong on that? That's all the more shame, but that no, doesn't but, but change you're, But you're argument. saying we didn't pay the bill. Uh, is that where that 10% went on health care? Well... Most of it, yes, because we basically spend 30 to 40 percent of all, all government spending is in health care and another 30 or 40 percent in education. And then the rest of government runs on, on what's left over. And those two areas on which government spends money are not legitimate areas for government to even be in in the first place. So we've compromised our, our nation as a consequence of, of a system where we all want to have free medical care. You're listening to Talk of the Town. This is Left, Right, and Center with Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer, and we're open this morning to your suggestions. Is there an issue out there you'd like to have our two uh, uh, commentators uh, commentate on today? 643-1290. We do have another one that was phoned in off the air. We'll get to that right after this. Left, Right, and Center with uh, Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer. Another caller said he'd like to know what you think about the possibility of a guaranteed adequate income. Um, now, we've often heard the phrase guaranteed annual income, but guaranteed adequate income, I suppose, as soon well, as... Adequate sounds like uh, we're going on indefinitely here, and annual has nothing to do with it. <laughs> well, maybe we, should, maybe we should go back to a guaranteed annual income. And I'll start with you, Bob. This is a, an idea that's been floated many, many times, uh, ostensibly to simplify welfare, simplify all the entitlements that people get from the government and so on, and the idea being that that uh, people in need of it, or I guess depending on the model you look at, everybody would get X number of dollars from a communal tax pot that taxes would be tossed into and then everybody would get, uh, or, or, or the most needy would get this guaranteed amount of money every year and, and beyond that they could do whatever they wanted. If they wanted a part-time job or a full-time job, uh, maybe didn't pay much money, they could go and do that, but they're not going to have clawbacks, none of that stuff. Just Here's the money, this will put food in your table and a roof over your head and whatever else you do is up to you. Is there any way to make anything like that work that you can see? No. 
Not a chance. Um, first question I have to ask is who has to guarantee the annual income? And of course, it's always going to be the taxpayer and the government. Mm -hmm. Well, no one has a right to someone else's earnings or property. You just don't have that. If we built a society based on the idea that one person, because of his social condition or economic condition, has a right to the livelihood of others, that, that society will not last very long, and that's a guarantee. History has shown that to us uh, without exception. I can't think of an exception. It happens every time. So, you know, just on that premise, I have to say that the concept itself I would regard as immoral because no one has a right to another person's earnings or, or property, and it certainly isn't appropriate to call them entitlements. If someone is having a po problem with poverty or inadequate sustenance, that is an issue of poverty and should be dealt with properly through voluntary charities or even through voluntary taxation if we want to play with that concept, which I think is, a, is perfectly viable. Um, but other than that, I would say, uh, no, I don't think there's any such concept that exists metaphysically or or even in anyone's wildest imagination that could work that would, you know, come anything close to a guaranteed annual income. Now, I know the argument that it would be maybe more efficient than the current welfare system we have, but that doesn't change the situation and it isn't going to save, save the taxpayer money. And also, when you have a certain base of your whole gross national product being spent on maintaining that minimum, the value of the dollar will decline. Because you can't fool Mother Nature. People have to earn their money. If it's, not, if it's given to them, it loses its value. That's where the work is done. That's what I mean by resistance in the system. When, when money exchanges hand, there should be value exchanged for value. And therefore, there should don't be a trade made. A lot of people don't understand that. If I get a dollar from the government and I go and spend it in a store, it's still worth a dollar. It's still got a dollar's worth of value. As far as, but, but it, on its way through you, it didn't really do any work because you didn't do any work for well, it so if you what? got the dollar for nothing. So what? When I got it, when it was handed to me, it was worth a dollar. When I take it to the store, it's worth a dollar. What does it matter what well, I do in the middle? Because if it was handed to you voluntarily, it doesn't matter. But if it was handed to you by someone who didn't want their money taken from them and had something else to, that they wanted to do with it, you stopped them from doing that. And that has a tremendous effect. Jeffrey, what about you? Do you see uh, from, from the, the left side of the spectrum, is there any way to make something like this work, or is there any need for something like this? Well, I, I know that it's an idea that, that's had a lot of popularity over the years, and uh, I'm actually not as familiar with it as I should be, but uh, I can certainly uh, say my, my firm policy on any subject, as you know, is that I know not, nothing at all about it, but it doesn't mean I don't have an opinion. <laughs> so uh, here goes. <laughs> that's spoken like a true lawyer, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> to start off by talking about taxpayers, it just grates my, every time I hear the word taxpayer, and I think, you know, I've never met somebody who wasn't a taxpayer, and this distinction between uh, taxpayers and, and somehow other people just, uh, it makes no sense to me. We all pay sales tax, we pay taxes all over the place, and everybody pays them whether you're getting welfare or not. That's, that, you know, if you want to say welfare versus non-welfare recipients, that's one thing. are you saying taxes thing. can be spent on any possible thing anybody can think no, of? No, I'm saying when somebody purports to, to take some moral high ground saying, I'm a taxpayer, you can you, you know, there's no way of saying that anybody else is not a taxpayer. Yes, but it's a matter of degree, isn't no, no, it? When, when, when I bring up taxpayer, when I say taxpayer, I'm bringing up a very fundamental issue, and that is that there is a moral issue there, and that is the issue of using coercion to get money out of people for things that they wouldn't voluntarily spend their money on. Well, and that is a moral about issue. The entertainment industry, then. <laughs> I well, like, what kind of a distinction is that, for God's sake? All I'm saying is that everybody pays taxes. If you want to be accurate in your language, we're all paying taxes. If you want to say an income tax payer is somehow what, what better that than justify? the rest... That doesn't justify well, I'm anything. just saying that the word has no meaning. When somebody says, I'm a taxpayer, it's like, well, everybody else is too. So what? 
But anyway, that's not that's that's near the here there. As far as this this idea of an annual uh, uh, income of some kind, we we of course theoretically have sort of something like that right now. We have this hybrid system where theoretically in Canada nobody is required to live at less than the rate of of welfare entitlement. Mm -hmm. You know, and this was uh, was enshrined back in 1966 under the uh, the uh, what's it called Canada Something Rather Act uh, that we were going to have national standards for. Uh, for welfare and, and all that stuff. To the country since I'll get to that in a minute. Well, you are previewing my argument a minute, a minute ago, and I'll get to that in a minute. But anyway, theoretically, in Canada, anybody who wants welfare can get it. That's how it's supposed to work. Theoretically, nobody's supposed to be left lying on the street, uh, you know, uh, in penury. Uh, theoretically, that's what's supposed to happen. The problem that's come along over the years is that the system has got real burden down with uh, with bureaucracy, and there's nothing that. that drives me nuts more than having an appeal that's being fought over which part of the government should be paying for this person's welfare. Should it be federal government through employment insurance? Should it be the provincial government through welfare? Should it be through workers' compensation? Should it be through some kind of a, a disability plan or whatever? All of the money spent deciding who's going to pay it is, is dead waste in my, in my view uh, because it's all ultimately paid by the people who are paying the taxes. Well, how would how would it get paid if you didn't make those decisions? Like, okay, we're not going to decide which department pays out welfare. How's the money going to get from the taxpayer to the to the welfare recipient? Well, there's no reason that we have to have all those different systems for starters, and they, they've risen for accidental reasons. They were never part of a grand uh, uh, coordinated plan. You've got these different plans that have come in at different times for different political reasons. Well, that, and that, as that's the word political. That's oh, yeah. why they're there. Well, they're exactly. not there to alleviate poverty, and they're not there to do all those social things that they purport to do. They're there for political yeah. reasons. Well, and you know, obviously uh, everything is political one way or another, but uh, the problem that I have is that there's a huge amount of what I think is waste in the system, and I see it all, it's, it's my job, is fighting this kind of stuff. Even in the last five years, the amount of paperwork that we've seen around every uh, social assistance file is just mind-boggling, and they call it accountability, and this is a word that I, I find a very scary one, and, and I start seeing it bandied around at City Hall, how they want to make sure there's accountability if they're going to hand out money to the poor and so on. Well, don't you think we need That's accountability? That's another word for bureaucracy and paperwork. That's how well, it plays out. <coughs> Unfortunately, I would say all bureaucracy and all paperwork is is not needed. I, I would say 90% of it is not, and I can tell you part of the reason for that is because, and I don't think you'll disagree with me on this, that the mentality in business in government is totally different than in business. In business, uh, entrepreneurship well, is rewarded, sometimes risk is rewarded, innovation is rewarded. In government, <laughs> none of those things are rewarded. In government, uh, the whole object of the exercise is to avoid getting in trouble for anything. And if you're a bureaucrat, your whole job is to avoid getting yourself in trouble, avoid getting your boss in trouble, and avoid getting your minister in trouble. And that's how they spend all their time trying to figure out ways that they have plausible deniability if something goes wrong. Haven't you just made a great case for why government should not be in the poverty business? For well, the very I reason you just stated. I don't know that, uh, you know, if you had IBM or McDonald's running it, it would be that much better. But certainly if we had one well, system instead would. of... You just we said had, the private sector doesn't have that problem. They get right on with business and do what they want to do. Well, the government, uh, everybody's covering their, their okay. rear ends. But if we're talking about <laughs> distinctions, I would argue that there are big companies like IBM went through this. They get they get sort of bloated as well. They get caught up in their own bureaucracy. But certainly the idea that there are there are all kinds of companies out there. Walmart seems to be a good example that operates extremely efficiently. Uh, I would far rather see somebody who had that kind of efficiency and that kind of outlook that we're here to deliver a service as cheaply as we can, uh, running welfare or whatever, than a, than a system that's built up based on uh, defendability through paperwork. it should be privatized. Is that what you're saying to us? No, I didn't say it had to be a private system, but it should be one system for starters instead of half a dozen different systems uh, that one way or another somebody has to come through one of these days and instead of constantly, you know, we've got an auditor that goes through every year and he always finds uh, all kinds of 
uh, mismanagement of waste. The solution always is do more paperwork. Do more paperwork, and this particular thing won't happen. Yeah, but then you've lost all the hours of productivity that you could have, that you in the past had spent actually providing a service. Now you're spending it doing all this paperwork, and that's that's what's ultimately choking the system. It seems to me. Well, we uh, see that, and you've seen it too as a former member of the police services board. The in the law enforcement in this country, that certainly happened. Oh yeah, and the, uh, the amount of hours that an officer can can spend on the beat is down dramatically, and most of it is due to the increased number of, amount of paperwork. They now, have to some extent, I have to blame the lawyers. Everything comes back to them. You know, why do you have to have this <laughs> defendability? Partly, it's for legal liability reasons, but also a lot of it is political. Though you want to be able to defend yourself if something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. We're going to pause for just a moment. The lines are open too, folks. If you've got a, a, another topic you'd like to have our guys discuss, that's great. We thought we'd try this today and see if uh, if you uh, enjoyed it. And so far, we're having fun. But the lines are open for your comments too at six four three twelve ninety or star twelve ninety on the can shell right here twelve ninety CJBK. And we continue our discussion. Susan joins us. Oh, hi, Susan. Oh, good morning. I'd, I'd like to hear them answer a question that I thought I heard posed, and I haven't heard them answer. Mm -hmm. uh, Jim, the language that you used, I believe, that was adequate income, and I believe you were suggesting it be measured on an annual level. Well, because we couldn't figure out what, off the air, we were trying to figure out what adequate meant, and, and I mean, that's open to a lot of different interpretations. Sure it is, but use the template that's there. Use the example that's there now. Everyone in this country... At the moment they turn 65, if they've done the paperwork, begin to receive a minimum amount that is a guaranteed annual income. Mm -hmm. It's not provided for anybody else. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I'll also ask Bob to please not interrupt so much, but I'll hang up and I'd be interested in your answers. There, you have something specific to discuss because you have an example that's there now and maybe you could elaborate on it. I don't understand what you're saying, Susan. There's but a guaranteed annual income for everyone who's 65 years yeah. of age and over in this country. Yeah, okay. That is the only group in society mm -hmm. for which it, it is applied as a group. It's a group that's growing on a daily well, basis. Well, Susan, if we look at that example, that tells us a lot about the feasibility of a guaranteed annual income because that system does not even come close to paying for itself. So if we were to extend that to other elements of society, uh, we're even farther in the hole. Oh, okay. I, I, and I don't want to get into a cross-debate. I'm interested in your comments. But I'd like to hear you uh, give the rationale out of the current budget and what you see in past budgets that prove what you've just said, that it doesn't pay for itself. So I'll hang up and listen to your answer. Sure. Well, Susan, uh, get a hold of Stats Canada and take a look at the figures on the amount the average Canadian pays in to the CPP for their retirement and take a look at the amount the average Canadian will take out before they expire and you will find that the two figures are drastically different. The first one, the amount you contribute, is much lower than the second one, the amount that you're likely to take out. So I don't have them in front of me, but I invite you to get a hold of StatsCan. They've got them there. Um, Again, even Susan's example, the pension system when people turn 65, it's not a pension system, it's a tax system. All, we're, all the, the people at 65 are getting is, is somebody's, uh, you know, somebody's taxes, who's younger than 65 mm -hmm. and still working. Mm -hmm. It's not a pension system. The mm -hmm. money was not put into a pension plan. It did not accrue interest. It was not invested in anything. It's a complete pyramid scheme that, yeah. that you and I would be in jail tomorrow for if we put that thing together. And it's going to fall apart. Why don't they earn interest on CPP? Sorry? You're saying the CPP doesn't invest the money they take in? No, it's a tax system. It, they don't have it, any money. They don't have any they money. Pay out more, they pay out more every day than they take in. Well, right Quebec, now they may be, but... Uh, the Quebec it, pension plan is different. I understood that this was a function in. of the baby boom, that basically uh, that there are more people aging than there are people to sort of continue paying the thing. But that wouldn't matter if you were paying a premium. It wouldn't matter if we... if Demographics would not matter if each person paid their own 
way, all their lives, and all that money that you were putting into your pension plan premium payments went into a plan for you. The money you paid in didn't go into a plan for you. It went to some other guy who's, who's collecting pension. That's well, all it did. Okay, but all you're saying it, is that when it, they started CPP, they would have had to defer it, it, the first payout for 30 years or whatever, no, because when people started paying in when it was introduced in the 60s or whatever, you say, well, you can't pay out until you've contributed enough to sustain your own pension. Well, theoretically, yeah, that's how it should so have been So they had to done. give it a kickstart. Well, no, every, everybody's kickstart starts when they're early in life. It's like when you buy a, a private pension plan. You don't, you don't start thinking about these things at age 55 and 60, you know? No, but in a private pension plan, if you opt out in the first year or two, you're not going to get any money out of it or, or much. Whereas with Canada Pension, I presume when it was brought in, I was a little young then, with but Canada when it was pension. brought in, I assume they said next year seniors are going to get X dollars. Well, they did, Jeffrey, and I think the system would, would have worked a lot better had they accounted for that amount of initial investment, seed money, if you want to call it, and recovered that as, as the program went on. Not only yeah. did they not recover it, they didn't even bring in as much money as they needed. But I guess what I'm saying is that uh, if it is a demographic, demographic phenomenon, I, I understand the baby boom is also uh, a big mountain that's going down, and when we hit the far side of that slope, we're going to have more people again paying in that are that are being paid out to and that'll work out in the wash you know unless we've got a situation where, where we've but how got are we going to pay for the slope in the meantime and what kind of debt will be added to all of everything else by the time that happens? well again as far as i can tell it's, it is a pension system it is a system where you're contributing and you expect to get payout at the end of the day it's not a tax system where you pay money and then never expect to see it again so what's going to happen is that we pay higher premiums for a while but then when uh, when the baby boom is over and all of a sudden there are way fewer older people than there are younger people to support them, then premiums are going to come way down, and there'll be a big holiday. No, there won't be any. There won't be any fund by then, Jeff. <laughs> well, seriously, according to the economists that I talk to, there will not be a fund. But the, the, it's, we simply cannot sustain it. Because, and it's not because. Well, it is in a broader sense because of the demographics, because of the baby boom. But more fundamentally, it's because the system is set up wrong. You, you, Jeff Schlemmer, will probably take out more than you put in. So will I, so will Bob Metz, so will most Canadians. And in many, many cases, we will take out drastically more than we ever put into the thing. That's the problem. Well, and part of that comes back to uh, something else that Susan mentioned, and that is that, uh, from my end of it, uh, you look at CPP and say it's costing more than we can afford in the sense that we're paying out more than we're taking in, but also the amounts that we're paying out aren't that great either. Like seniors are not living in no, well, no, luxury. But, uh, but, more, but, but that just adds to the point. You know, not only is it not paying for itself, it's not perhaps providing uh, adequate support for the people it was designed to help. And I presume that the difference between this and a private system is that in a private system you would get the pension you could afford. If you could afford to be contributing more over the years, you'd have a, a nicer pension at the end of the day, which is what most people do through RSPs and investments and everything anyway, if they can afford to. This presumably is, a, is an attempt to equalize the field somewhat for lower-income people and say that then why not just give it to lower-income people uh, well, I don't know I, I believe that uh, universally something universality is a concept where they've said if you don't make it universal then you lose public support for it then it ends up dying on the vine you I, know you're right and that's true know. and that just speaks to the fact that the reason we have all these social systems is simply public greed people want to get more out of the system than they think they have to put into it and a lot of them the majority would probably be right because they don't put as much in as they take out because the rich people in the country pay the most most m amount of taxes. So it seems to be a system that works until the rich people all disappear and then nothing works anymore. <laughs> well, off the bat, so you're saying that uh, the people who don't want to contribute to this anymore are the not greedy people? They just want to contribute money to their own... No, I'm just saying that the reason we have these systems politically, I'm just repeating what you said, is that the voters wouldn't have... They don't want a non-universal system that only helps the poor. They want a system where everybody gets everything free. 
And but the only difference. I mean, that's like telling people gravity makes things go up, and yet, yet still people believe it. It's such a fiction. You but know? the only difference, though, is that you've got somebody who doesn't need the money who's getting an extra five or six hundred bucks a month when when they retire. Uh, so what, really? For my end of it, I guess the other part of it, though, that we that we haven't really talked about, and again, part of it, for my end of it, I'm sorry, I, I don't, I'm not that familiar with the theoretical aspect of it, but that is this idea: should everybody have a, a a guaranteed minimum income of some kind that's higher than welfare? I presume that when they talk about adequate, I imagine that's what they're talking about. For my end of it, I guess one of the things that occurs to me is that if you're going to expect, for instance, to have an income of twenty-five thousand dollars a year that's going to come to you in the way of uh, uh, money from the government. Uh, they certainly have a right to expect you to be doing something for it <laughs> off the bat. Now, it may be the case the government should be more organized around those things. So do you support workfare then? Uh, well, we've talked about this in the past, and from my end of it, uh, the objections that I have to workfare are based on this particular plan. The idea of saying that people on welfare should be allowed to go out and do volunteer work and all this stuff I think is all great. And I think that uh, the problem with workfare in Ontario is that you've got way more people that want to work than they've been able to find things for because they've brought in this sort of constricting program with a ton of rules again that get people in trouble um, because they, they step over this uh, uh, landmine or that landmine in the in the regulations but as far as whether I, I, I understand why people on the right would be extremely offended with the idea that we're going to hand a ton of money to people who are expected to do, do nothing that's something that I, I can't I don't think there's people on the right support. I think that's people, people anywhere people across on the left yeah. don't feel like that and from the standpoint <laughs> of people on the left I think that the, the, the where that comes back to is we're not saying that it should be like that. We're saying the ideal situation is that everybody should have a half-decent job to go to and they should be able to go to it and, uh, and make a decent living. The question is, again, how do you achieve that? And do you achieve it by an unbridled free market uh, that's going to have big bumps up and down, or do you try and regulate it and moderate it somehow? Right, let's go back to the phones where Gary joins us. Hi, Gary. Yes, uh, Jimmy. I just wanted to say that uh, in regards to uh, funding uh, the old age security and that, mm -hmm. Uh, if you take a look at the baby boomers now, they're uh, socking a lot of money into RSPs, which is going to start to be taxed, probably at the very high rates because uh, a lot of it's building up pretty fast. Well, that's the only way they're going to be, as far as I know, that's the only way they're going to be able to keep the CPP going is to start taxing the RS RSPs. Well, yeah, but I mean, at age 69, uh, you know, it's going to... That's going to start, and uh, a lot of the baby boomers it's are getting now when you reach a certain age. Isn't it, it is, but I suspect yeah. you're going to see it before age 69. Yeah, well, that could be, and uh, given the fact that uh, a lot of them probably uh, will have their old age security uh, clawed back because they'll be in such high, high income mm -hmm. brackets. Yeah, no. Yeah. So all that's going to help. I just thought I'd throw that in to, to ease the burden. All right, thanks a lot, Gary. <laughs> okay. Take care. Bye bye. bye, -bye. We are going to pause for just a moment. We'll be back. The lines are open at 643-1290, and there's more Left, Right, and Center to come. On this edition of Left, Right, and Center, we're uh, following your lead on some topics. Rather than stick with one topic for the entire program, we said earlier, and we say again, if there's something you'd like to hear discussed by our two commentators, feel free to give us a call at 643-1290 and start 1290 on the Cantel. We did have another uh, caller. Well, before you go on, yes. I just wanted to, to, to make a, a follow-up on what Gary said just before okay. the ads there on... on on taxing RRSPs and, and clawbacks that will be coming. This is just another example, and I agree with him, that's what's happening. This is another example of how a government-run social welfare system will end up punishing people who are responsible for looking after these things in their life and rewarding those who don't. Mm -hmm. So what happens over time is that people go, well, why should I save? for myself if the government's just going to take it away from me anyway and mm -hmm. hand it to other people mm -hmm. and, and and on the other side of the coin they're going to pay me some kind of pension anyway so why should I even bother mm -hmm. and I'll tell you a lot of people think like that and that's 
when your society starts degenerating, when people don't look after themselves anymore and start expecting others to look after them. Well, I don't know. RSPs are a terrific tax advantage. And I remember my tax prof used to say that tax deferred is tax saved, that uh, every year you can avoid paying tax. You uh, have that money in hand. You are earning interest on it and so on. And uh, RSPs are still a terrific deal. It's not discouraging people from What's saving. Your I think everything should well, be taxed. You, you said people, who, people are discouraged from buying RSPs because they're not a good deal. And they're, no, 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 that's not what he said. said. No, no, no. Yeah. He, he said they're discouraged because they may not, they may have beyond a certain point and all may be taken away from them anyway by the government. So well, what's the point uh, of saving? An RSP is a tax deferral. That's what an RSP is. It says you don't have to pay taxes until you retire. Right? Right. By that point, your, your income but is going to be a lot lower, plan. so the amount of tax you're going to pay on it is way lower, too. Uh, yeah, but so you've got an RSP, and I don't. I think the point Bob's trying to make, you've got an RSP, I don't. Nah, I can't be bothered. I spend my money. I have a lot of fun. I do this and that and the other thing. We both hit 65 or 69 or whatever the age is. You've got your RSP, but the government's going to claw some of that back because they can't afford it. They're going to hit you with a higher tax rate and so on and so on. They're probably not going to let you drop down. To the, the most likely thing is they won't let you drop down to the to the unemployed tax rate where this is your only source of income they'll probably index it backwards somehow get more money out of you i don't have to worry about any of that because i know the government's going to take care of me but you've also paid tax on all that money every every year you've earned it whereas what i've been able to do is because i put it in rsps i haven't paid tax on it for 40 years yeah, but we're both and, er and every one of those 40 years but i've invested we're both 60, and made a lot of interest but we're both 69 and we both uh, maybe we don't have the same amount it's of money hopper in the ant story exactly you're it is <laughs> you're going to have more money than i am but i'm still going to live okay and i didn't have to do without a darn thing well yeah, I, I, I would suggest what you'll be doing is you'll be living on a pension of a thousand dollars a month and scraping by you'll be wearing old clothes you won't we won't have a car you'll no, be taking I won't. the bus no whereas i'll have my rsp money in no. hand plus i'll have made interest no no and that's and that's not going to happen I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why that's not going to happen. Because there'll be more people like me than people like you. And people like me will put, exactly. will put pressure on the government. The government will have to give us what we want until they can't do it anymore and the whole thing falls apart. Until guys like you, no, Jeff, can't pay for it anymore. But you what you're suggesting, though, is that somehow in the future you're going to have a lot more influence than the people who are in that position today. They haven't been able to achieve that. There's not enough of them. It's the baby boom. It's <laughs> the baby boom again. It's, it is demographics at that point. There is no... There is no disadvantaged majority in this country today there very well maybe 15 years from now well I don't know gray power at some point in the future the thing I have right now is that if you didn't have RSPs you'd be paying tons of tax today on that money and oh, yeah. it would all be money in the hands of the government that, that's all money that the government point. is not taking in today no, no, no. to encourage you to save it for no, tomorrow. No, no, it's money that the government's not taking from taxpayers tomorrow because you looked after yourself and we don't have to pillage a taxpayer to look after you. So it's a deal on both sides of the coin. The other issue is you can't just say, oh, it's an RSP and you're making a lot of interest on it. People who put money into any form of savings are doing without the benefit that that money could have bought for those many, many, many years. And while the money is sitting there, not, not giving them TVs and VCRs yeah, no, and whatever true. else. And that's the but they're earning interest on it and not paying tax on it. But that's not it. the point, Jeff. The point is, they made the sacrifice and the effort to do that, while other people are saying, well, I don't have to make that sacrifice or effort at all. I'll, I'll take the same money, even though I'm just as capable of doing what the guy over there did, and I'm going to buy the car instead and the fancy stereo and the VCR. And I'm going to live my life like that, because besides, I don't think I'm going to live to 65 anyway. Well, they talk and in uh, econ economics about this reasonable economic man, and I would suggest to you that if somebody says, you can take that dollar of income that you've earned this year, not pay any tax on it for 40 years, and you can earn interest on it for 40 years, there are lots of reasonable economic people out there who will choose to do well, that. Right. And I've suggested well, there's more people more? buying or why, investing why? in RSPs now than and, there ever has been. And why do we need a pension plan at all? Well, well I want to come back to that true. for a second. There may be more today, but they are still a very tiny minority of Canadians. The vast majority of Canadians don't have any RSPs. I don't, I don't know. Think of it. I, I why don't, don't they take their pension 
pension premiums and put them into an RSP. With and all the mutual fund commercials plan. on TV, I assume that everybody's got one. Let's go back to the phones where Gary's joining us. Hi, Gary. Hello. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Gary. Okay. My question is... Um, What's your question, Gary? Okay. Um, when I pay an RRSP, okay? Yeah. Like, I work for a major corporation here in Canada. Yeah. I took a buyout plan from them, okay? Yeah. yeah. Now, I got a $50,000 buyout, say. Yeah. Uh, just say for sake. Yeah. Uh, I already paid tax on that money. Mm-hmm. When I withdraw money from that, Say I made $60,000. Oh, wait a minute. You, I, I went up to $60,000. No, Gary, you lost me there. At what point did you pay tax on that fifty grand? Well, when it came off my paycheck. When you file your tax return, though, if you put that money into an RSP, then you get that money back. Well, just a minute now. Now, let me finish my question here. Okay. Okay, okay I put 50000 in, let's say, and I, it, made, it grew itself to 60000 All right. Why do I pay tax on that? Like every time I withdraw three thousand dollars here or three thousand dollars there, because I have a bill to pay or whatever. Mm -hmm. Oh, am I taxed at ten or seventeen percent or whatever it is? Because you didn't pay tax on the money you put into that. Are, plan. are you sure? It, like it. Yeah. It was never taxed. If, yeah. Gary, Gary, if you look at your pay stub, you will see in most pay stubs, you'll see there's a gross amount, which yeah. is the total amount. Yeah. Then you've got the deductions, right? Uh huh. And among those deductions, and they are tax, they reduce your taxable income. Will be with the amount that you paid into your RSP or, or pension or whatever uh, that plan was. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll have to research that then. Yeah, take a look at your pay stub. Uh, yeah, I'll have to research that because I'm figuring like I'm. Well, my, my theory was. Like, okay, I made $10,000. Yeah. Yes, if I withdraw it, I have to pay tax on the 10. Yeah. But why would I have to pay tax on the 50 Again, to begin with? Because you didn't pay tax on it when you put it in. Oh, okay. All right. That's fine. Thanks, Thanks Gary. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye bye now. Bye bye. But that does come back to, the, to it's a sort of a typically Canadian solution. We've got this government uh, pension plan, CPP, plus we have uh, old age security, which is a government-funded plan. But then, really, uh, RSPs are a government-supported private plan. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's, we, we compromise on everything. It's like a little well, of this, a little uh, of that. But I think it's we all... It's a government-supported private plan. It's a private plan that's left alone by the government, just like every plan should well, be. It's supported by the government because you don't have to pay tax on well, the dollars you put into it. Well, that doesn't mean you're being supported by well, the government. It means that the government's by the leaving government? you alone. Not, not coming not, after you, Ford. Not coming <laughs> after you. It's a totally <laughs> different thing. <laughs> but we're still not, I, think, I, I still think we've been beating around the bush at the point that Bob was trying to make earlier, that, that, that the system as it, as it stands now it discourages people from planning for their future, particularly people on modest incomes. It discourages them from planning and saving for the future. Because, the, again, the point is, why should I? You know, I'm not making much money now. Not only that, the person on modest income is paying 52% tax rate to, to cover all these plans. So he, uh, there, there's the other side of the coin where he doesn't even have the money he'd like to have. Well, to your definition of modest and mine are maybe a little well, different. Yeah. I wouldn't think somebody paying 52% has a modest income. but Well, that, that, I think, is the average Canadian. Average. Well, it depends how you get twining tax. Certainly, income tax. If you count your your provincial sales taxes, your yeah. your. your so I thought you were talking about the marginal rate. Tax. No, no, I'm talking about okay. what your whole, tax. Because the whole lot money goes into <laughs> one pot. Because the marginal rate is, I think, 51 or 52 percent over yeah. what 60 grand. That's right, and you only pay that that rate of tax on the income beyond that beyond yeah. that 60. But still, grand. I mean, still, come on. You work hard. You get ahead in your career. You work your way up. Uh, you're making fifty-nine thousand. Next year they give you a raise. You're making sixty-one. 
you got to give $500 of that extra grand to the government. For what? What did they do? And you get to keep the you rest know, of it and have a much life, nicer life. You get to keep it. I, I earned it. It's my money. What do like you mean in I a way, what you can argue it? is that uh, most of our taxes in Canada, aside from income tax, are all flat taxes. They're not graduated taxes where you pay more if you make more. Sales yeah. taxes, flat tax, for instance. So the more you're making, the less you're affected by those flat taxes, like sales taxes and so on. Well, so what? Well, it means that at the end of the day, and, and this is what I always come back to, is that it's I don't really care true, what my tax rate is. Making, what I care about is what my standard of living is. I want, I want to be able to live in a nice house. I want to be able to have a nice car. I want to be able to go on vacation once in a while. And I don't care. Uh, tax is really an irrelevant measure. The measure for me is what can I do with what I earn? And uh, people who if go from 59000 to 61000 whatever, can do a lot more stuff. They have a well, nicer they have life. 500 bucks. They get to keep 1500 and they've got to go off to Cuba for a week. Well, the whole point is, though, that the government, I don't think the government has any right to penalize you for success. Well, that all comes back to... Let me put it to you this way. You've got a guy who earns $20,000 a year, just for the sake of argument, and his tax rate is going to be, what, 20... Uh, no, $30,000. His tax rate is, what, 24% on his... Yeah. So we'll say you've got $20,000 of taxable income, so a quarter of that, so he pays about $5,000 in income tax. The guy at $100,000, uh, say his taxable income is even 50. We'll say 50. And he's paying, I'll say 60 to get it up there. And he's going to pay the 60% uh, of that. So how much is he paying? Well, it depends how good his financial planner is. Well, his still, tax lawyer. still he's going to pay four or five or six times as much money as the, as the smaller guy, right? Now, now and I'm not talking graduate. If it's all in the same thing. So you look at that and you say, well, it, you know, it's, it's, un, it's unfair that the poor guy has to pay the same percentage as the rich guy. Yeah, but the rich guy is paying four or five times as many dollars out of his pocket as the poor guy. That dollars that are going back into, this, back into the government anyway, into the tax system. How can you say that's not, it's not fair? Like, this is my beef with, with graduated taxes. It's smoke and mirrors. They're not fair. Well, again, yeah, the problem is that you look at it at the other end. If you don't have people at the high end paying more, uh, a higher percentage of their income, then you're going to have to have people at the low end paying a higher percentage of their income. Well, Somebody's got to pay for it somewhere. Why? Why, why don't we just say government maybe should stop spending so much money and stop being so interventionist in the economy and not have to spend it all so that well, we can again, lower taxes for everybody? You and I differ on whether it's a good thing that every time you step out onto a road you're going to pay a toll uh, for every time you want to, uh, uh, for any kind of service that we when have. When did I ever tell you that right every now? time you get out on the road you have to pay a toll? No, the question or is do you want these services that? provided by government or by a company? If, you provi if they're provided by a company, they're not going to be free. You're going to pay something for them. Yeah, but we pay now for government, and, and, and I would submit to you we pay through waste there's tremendous yeah, well, waste. I don't disagree and with you on that people in the government will tell you that the yeah. mps will tell you well, that, told that waste Remember in business too you're telling us yeah. well exactly <laughs> i've always been i've always said that well then why do you why do you why do you advocate this inefficient system to do what you know that business can do so much better well again you you see business as being some uh, some magical land of oz where they get everything right and no, i would no. suggest to you there are all business kinds of examples choice. of business doing because bad jobs wrong and things. wrong wrong business is choice because there's more than one of them Government any business is no is worth choice their salt is trying to avoid choice so you saw matthew barrett a year or two ago was talking about how he's trying to increase his market share that that's i remember being seeing him being interviewed by uh, hannah gardner and she said, what's, what's your goal for the banks? It increased market share. That's what it's all about. I would like there to be less choice. I don't want there to be choice. As a, as a company, my goal is to get as much as I can. He didn't say that. He said he wanted to get increased, increased market, market share. If I said Why? that, I Why want increased that? market share. It doesn't mean I want to give less choice to people. I'm adding another choice, mine, well, the one that I offer. How do you increase share but by making sure somebody else, your competitor, has a smaller share? Well, 
You don't, you don't think two companies can compete with each other and both grow in businesses? They do it all the time. They Avis and Hertz share. were number one and two, but they both had increasing you know, profits year after market year. Market share is a function. The market can grow, but if you've got 50% of the market and the market gets twice as big, then you've still got 50% of the market. All right, let's go back to the phones where uh, Tom is waiting. Hi, Tom. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? Fine, thanks. Excuse <laughs> me. just had a couple of quick comments. Uh, you were talking about marginal tax rates, and, and it's sounded as though you might be misleading things a little bit. Uh, well, I, I get confused when we start talking numbers, so that's entirely possible. Okay, just to, just to clarify it, uh, a person who's in, say, a 52% marginal tax rate is paying 52 cents on his, on his last dollar. He's paying the same amount of tax on his first 30000 as the guy who earned 30000 Oh, no, I, I understand that, but my point was, why is that last dollar taxed at 52%? I agree with you. I mean, the, 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 there is... We, we live in, in uh, I guess, a socialist country. There's no question well, about absolutely. that. But um, there, there are a lot of people that think uh, higher income earners should be taxed even more, which is ridiculous, because the uh, one thing that's kind of interesting that nobody seems to be talking about is that since the provincial government lowered uh, income taxes, their revenues have actually increased, which is what everyone, which, which is what every economist has always said, that if you lower taxes, government revenue will increase. If you raise taxes, government increase, income will, will decrease. But there is another element at play there, too. We talk about it more often with the federal government, but it applies to the provinces, too, and that's bracket creep. That's where a lot of the extra right. dollars the provinces brought in, too. Right. The, the, and the only argument I would have, or, or another argument I'd have against people saying that, uh, you know, the tax rate should be higher on, on higher incomes, but you also have to keep in mind that the people with higher incomes are also the most mobile. And, if yeah. the, and they're the ones that can just as easily... Uh, move south, move But we can east, fix that. But we can fix that in our socialist paradise. We just don't allow them to leave the country. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. I, I wonder what's changed. Like, what, yeah. why is you it today? To if you've got somebody who's lived it, uh, you, I, I just don't understand this at all. And you talk about the brain drain and how all the, all the wonderful people in Canada are all going to move to the United States tomorrow. And I think, well, the United States has been there for a long time. Why didn't they go last year, 20 years ago, 50 years ago? Because We've always I, had higher taxes. We've always been a more socialistic country. They've stayed here because Canada's a darn good place to live. Absolutely. So the, UN but, the best but place in the world. Saying is a darn good country to, to uh, in in which to live, and I don't think anyone disagrees with that. And that's the reason why people do stay here. But everything does have a price, and if you push that price higher and higher, pretty soon, then it, it's a wonderful place to live. But I just can't afford it anymore. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't think that it's a wonderful place to live because of the level of taxes we pay, though, Jeff. And I think that's maybe where you and I disagree. Well, that's you, the only difference between us and the states, well, isn't it? And you, the guns. Well, the other difference is <laughs> ten times more people there. I mean, we, yeah. we, we all want to have Economies the same lifestyle that the Americans have, but there's ten times as many people there to support the, the social program. So, I mean, it's... Tom, thanks for the call today. Okay, thanks. Take Bye. care. Uh, the brain, I can't let you get away with that brain drain <laughs> crap. Of course, a lot of people stay here because of the quality of life. There's no question that they do. But there are a lot of particularly professionals where the, the, there are greater, better money and greater challenges. One of the reasons the money is better is because the challenges are better, because the government is less interventionist. There are all kinds of industries now where people are just flooding south of the border, because, not only because they make more money, because they have more opportunity. They have more chance to grow and expand within their given fields. And one of the reasons we don't have as much here is because of uh, in excessive taxation. That's nonsense. Uh, absolute nonsense. And one of the things that amazes me is how... Justify that, right? Jeff. Don't just say it. I'm, I mean, I'm talking. No, 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 I'm about to justify it. All right. Stand back for a minute. 
right off the bat, it astounds me how if you're on the right, you can always find an excuse for... Well, I'm not on the right. Cheat. I'm in and the center. Don't what we that. had heard up until the last couple of years was we have to cut taxes, we have to do all this stuff because of the deficit. The deficit is the big boogie bear that's going to destroy the whole country, blah, 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 blah. You know, implicit in that was once the deficit was gone, you'd stop talking about all this sort of, you know, more for the rich, less for the poor stuff. Then the deficit is gone, and it's like, what's the next thing we can go on to? Well, there's the global economy. We have to compete in the global economy now. Suddenly, this has raised ugly head, and our taxes are too high compared to everybody else. Well, I find in McLean's last week, they report that our taxes are about middle of the pack for industrialized countries. They're middle of the pack. Our taxes aren't high. They're right in the middle. So, okay, right off the bat, we've got lower taxes because of that. Then we've got the brain drain. You know, all of a sudden, uh, smart Canadians woke up one morning and decided the United States is where they want to live. They're all going to move to the United States unless we lower their taxes and dramatically increase their incomes. And their incomes, of course, are already going up dramatically as it is. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. But unless we suddenly lower their taxes, they're all going to leave and Canada will be, a, will be a third world country because we've lost all these brilliant people. I would argue that Canada's wealth in large part arises from its natural resources. This is an extremely wealthy country because of the resources we have here. And if those people want to leave, there are tons of other people in Canada who will happily do their jobs, will happily invest in, uh, in Canadian industry, will happily invent lots of great things, will sell us wonderful products. And I say if those guys want to leave, they should leave, because realistically, they're not Canadians. They're so then Americans. the Soviet Union should have been one of the most wealthy countries in the world. Canada's brilliant because it's a compromise. Got. Canada is a compromise where we take the best of all parts of the world. We've got some socialism, we've got some capitalism. Well, yeah. <laughs> Boy, oh boy. And people you aren't know, leaving in droves because they know, like it. Jeff, the argument that we're not as bad as some of the other countries is not an argument. It, it, it doesn't speak to the moral and basic issues. That if, if we're paying too much tax, we're paying too much tax. I, I don't very much care to be compared to West Germany where some people are paying 85% income tax and being told that I should be happy paying 55 or 65 because they pay more. That's an irrelevant argument to me. But we have My argument is that, that, that Germany should change their I just finished saying Canada's the best place in the world to live, and you see that as, well, we're not, we're not the worst. Well, we're, not as good as, <laughs> we're not as good as we can be, though. That's what you said. That's the story well, we're better than everybody us. else, so why change it? Well, because we can, well, you don't believe in getting even better? You think we, just because we're better than the other guy, That's we shouldn't right. improve. One of right? my favorite lines from the, the last election, the status quo is not an option. It's like, well, it looks pretty good to me. It's the best in the world. Well, you're, you're advocating the statist <laughs> quo, not the status quo. <laughs> I'll tell you. Touche. <laughs> but wealth does not come from resources. So often, we, wealth comes from individual freedom, and by that, mostly economic freedom. You have to have economic freedom in order to create wealth. If you have government controls to the degree that you have them, you destroy wealth. You dis dissipate it. You, you just throw it in the garbage and waste it. And that's just the fact of life because wealth is based on, on voluntarism, on contract, on, on all those things that took us thousands of years to learn. And now that we are undoing with socialism, and I don't think that socialism is going to be worth any price we paid for it when we see it run its full course. But we've it's got Norway, very we've got Sweden are very successful socialist countries, way more than us. No, highest, uh, highest suicide rate in the world. What you call success, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's because it's dark and so cold there all the time. <laughs> I do not regard as successful a country that can maintain just a, a basic subsistence level and, and feed its citizens. I think a successful country is a country that treats its, its, its mo you know, brilliant innovators and, and inventors and people with the greatest of respect and lets them become rich and earn their money in the marketplace where they can sell products that, that, that are very cheap to individual people who are poor like you and me and so we can afford these things. Well, I think you and I agree that innovators should be, should be well rewarded, no question about that. The question is how much, where do you draw the line and how do you avoid... We don't draw the line. We don't draw the line by how much of, they work. 
how much uh, they aristocracy do. rising up. Part of the problem is that I don't you disagree with you. You want the aristocracy. That's no, no, the line No, no. What happens from my end of it is that, and we're seeing this right now, and we've seen it in the past, when you do have a system where you've got the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer, eventually you end up in an aristocracy. They become entrenched. Whereas yeah, I, I, what social, I would like to award, reward is innovation. I'd like to reward, or reward hard work, but I don't necessarily want to reward people because they were born from rich parents. I don't want them to be able to perpetuate that. That's not fair. Why not? And there's the boys checked away into the sunset. We have to draw this edition of Talk of the Town to a close. Thank you, gentlemen. A pleasure as always. We'll do that again sometimes, folks, from time to time. Give you the opportunity to tell us what you want to hear the fellas talk about. On tomorrow's program, we expect to have Monty Salberg, who's the Reform Budget Critic, and Paul Martin, who's the Finance Minister, on. Uh, we will also take a look at a big story on the plans about price fixing and how it affects us. Joe Fontana and Police Chief Elton.